I wonder if anybody knows this, uh, this person here. How about the, top, the bottom right, Andres Escobar, <clears throat> 1994. Anybody? Escobar family is happy to know that. Uh, he, he, uh, he scored an own goal uh, against the U.S., against the U.S. Uh, now, Colombia was, was actually had a great team in 94, and uh, they were fitted to get, go beyond the opening stages of the World Cup. But they lost the U.S. and got eliminated in the first round because this guy scored on his own goal. Now, uh, the, the reason this is still spoken of today is because uh, in Colombia, they would have none of it, and he was shot. And he was shot for that. That's taking, taking football too, too seriously. Now, Steve Bartman was close. He had to leave Chicago, right? You guys know this one? This is about 10 years later, 2005, I believe. I was a Cubs fan at that time. 2003? Okay, thank you. Excellent. This guy. Okay, eighth inning. Two outs, I believe. The Cubs hadn't been to the World Series in forever uh, since they forbid the goat from coming in. And, and as they're up three to zero in the eighth inning, this guy reaches out and messes with the play. Uh, and uh, the Marlins live on and beat the Cubs. And so Steve Bartman has to leave Chicago. He is known for that. Uh, Escobar is known for this, even though no doubt they have so many other loving things about them to be to be published abroad, we're still talking about this. But I, honestly, if I would have said Steve Bartman or Andres Escobar, most of us have already forgotten about that. What if I were to say John Wilkes Booth or Paul Revere? Okay, now we've gone a little bit further in time, but you still know those names very positively, very negatively. What about these names Paul, Timothy. Those are names that have lived on to this day in a positive way. In fact, people name their son Paul. People name their son, there we go, Timothy. That's what my parents, my parents named me after Timothy. You read about Paul and Timothy in Philippians. So I, I hope you have your Bibles open in Philippians there. Uh, Philippians 2 we, we find, actually, both of these men mentioned. Um, Paul was the church planter. Uh, the Lord used him to publish the gospel all over the ancient world. And we're going to actually spend a couple weeks on the Apostle Paul when we open the uh, letter of Romans here in a few weeks. We're going to get to the first word. And we're going to take a couple, words, a couple weeks on that first word and just understand the book of Acts and, and get Pentecost, Peter, and Paul in our minds uh, to get us to the book of Romans. But you find Paul and Timothy there in Philippians 1.1. Look at, uh, go down a little bit further, and chapter 2, verse 20, we learn a little bit more about Timothy. He says, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Well, what about Timothy. So that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition, for I have no one else of kindred spirit. He will genuinely be concerned about your welfare. Well, that sounds like a friend you'd like to have, right? 
Here's a guy who's genuinely concerned about the needs of others. And, and so here we are, 2,000 years later, much further along than John Wilkes Booth, and we're learning about Timothy. What about a couple other names? Epaphroditus. Now, I don't know any of you that are named Epaphroditus. Maybe your meme or your avatar or whatever. Not meme, avatars named Epaphroditus. But that would be a decent name. We have several ladies that are expecting. And uh, here's just throwing this out here. Look at verse 25 and 26. Epaphroditus, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. This is chapter 2, Philippians again. My brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you, was distressed because you heard that he was sick. And so here's another very positive name in the book of Philippians. I wonder if they had anyone that was less liked. Anyone that was more like a Escobar. What do you think? Do you think anyone in that church caused disunity? Do you think anyone in that church uh, messed up? Yeah, and they're named. <laughs> we have them named in Philippians. I feel so embarrassed for this, these two. Um, now, probably no one's named Yodia or Syntyche, uh, not because it's just a little awkward. Uh, as far as uh, Syntyche, that, that the odder the better anymore. But uh, chapter 4, verse 2, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to do what? Would you guys just get along? <laughs> just live in harmony. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. And then he goes on and says a lot of positive things about others. But he had to pick out these two folks in the church and just say, listen, I just, you gotta, you got to learn how to get along, live in harmony. Um, I like the word harmony there. I, I don't know if this will work, but this is harmony. Doesn't that sound nice? What does this sound like? That's Yodi and Sydney, right? Oh, come on, come on, give us a resolution. Okay, that's better, that's better. That's the word harmony, I don't know. They come in and there's just like this feeling of, come on, get, let's, let's move on to harmony. Let's just, let's just work this out to where we're living in harmony. And he's got to write about that. And here we are 2,000 years later and we're learning it. Philippians 4. Well, I think we all could be encouraged to be known as an Epaphroditus, to be known as a Timothy, to be known as a Paul, and not to be known as a Euodia or Syntyche. So how do we do that? Well, he talks about this all throughout chapter 2, and it really focuses in on one of our main Bible-driven principles as a church. We're trying to recover. This is actually our last one that we are focusing on. Um, we're zooming in on eight principles in this kind of a topical Bible study of what God wants in churches. And we're here at the eighth one, maintaining unity, right? As a church, we're to be Bible-driven, proclaiming Christ, believers and non-believers, praying always, utilizing Scripture to build mature members, 
We've been equipped by shepherding leadership, and that's reflected in people who are loving others and maintaining unity. And so let's, by God's grace, be encouraged to maintain unity with one another in the church. Now let me just say this. I don't say this because our church has a problem with this. I love our church in this way. Brothers and sisters. But I do think this is something that God commands us to maintain. And so if you would think of it this way, let us all be a, a superhero who's ready to fly in and put this unity at rest as quickly as possible. Let us be musicians who are ready to go in and make that dissonant chord harmony as quickly as possible. Okay? Uh, so that's what we're after today. And that's what the Lord will do by his grace and his spirit. I'm going to skip this. We looked at this last week. But you can see how, actually this is an important one, how, how all of these eight Bible-driven principles flow out of the early church's practice. They were continually devoting themselves to what? First of all, apostles' teaching, good. And then secondly to what? Fellowship. And that's our word, koinonia which is our word that really highlights maintaining unity, what we all have in common. And that's going to be in our text today. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But we see how all, of, all four of these principles from Acts 2.42 really flesh out our Bible-driven principles, right? All of these Bible-driven principles not just flow out of the study of the New Testament, but that early church and what they were committed to. And we can see how our church's services actually reflect that as well. Okay? All right, so let's jump into the text. I, I like to do this. I like to let us see the text at a bird's eye view before we start walking through the words. And, and I'll just say this. We're only going to take time with verses 1 and 2. Uh, we did handle verses 3 through 11 about a month ago when we talked about being a deacon. All right, so mainly going to focus, focus on verses 1 and 2. It clearly kind of unfolds in an if-then statement. If this is true, then you'll be making my joy complete by being of the same mind. If this is true, verses one, verse 1, then you'll make my joy complete by being of the same mind. All right, so if, and there are four ifs. What's interesting is they, they flow a Trinitarian, they, they flow out through the Trinity and the church. If there is, if there is, if there is, if there is, okay? Then, make my joy complete. And the idea is, if there is, oh yeah, there is. Absolutely there is. So you're going to make my joy complete by doing these things. And then the then really shows six components of biblical unity, the six steps that we would maintain or continue in if we want to continue in a unified church. Okay? And so those are the ING words that flow out from there, uh, and it gives us the how. So the if is really why we have unity, and it's assuming that this is what we have, and it's referring to our unity together in Christ. Then make Paul's joy complete by doing these things. Okay, so this is a unity you have in the gospel, verse 1, but you know what? You need to maintain it by carrying out verses 2 through 4. And so those are those six there. Uh, 
by being of the same mind, by maintaining the same love, by being united in spirit, by being intent on one purpose. Those are the positives. And then the negatives are by not doing anything from selfish or empty conceit and by not merely looking out for your own personal interests. All right. So that's how it kind of flows out in front of us in a bird's eye view. If, then, let's start with the if, okay? And, and I just, let's just let the words and the phrases um, build us up, change our thinking, uh, make us, by God's grace, maintain unity through his spirit, okay? So, first of all, uh, the overarching goal, maintaining unity. And, and I will say this in your notes, you, you have all the way to verse 11. We're not going to hit that, okay? So uh, be patient. We're really going to focus in on the, the words. I think if we try to do all that, we would, we would miss all the words. Um, but we're going to try to turn over a few rocks. All right, look at it a little closely here. Okay. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and compassion, the ifs of the statement. The first one refers to the Son. If there is any encouragement in Christ. If there is any encouragement in Christ. Well, yes, there is. That word encouragement we often find used referring to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would be the encourager. Or what's that often translated? The comforter. That's our word. So, so the idea is this one called alongside to help. Called alongside to be a helper, an encourager. This is our Lord Jesus, our guide, our cheerleader, our helper. He's not out of touch. He's not Jesus, the ascended Lord, who does not look down on his children. No, he incarnated, took upon himself pain, took upon himself sorrow, and then he took upon himself our sin, rose again, rent the curtain for good, shed his blood, and gave us access to the Father. This is what Jesus did. And so we have this encouragement in Christ. You and I both have the encouragement that, that is in Christ. And, and so this is one of the four threads of our unity together. And this is how this would look. It's kind of like if, if you had a buddy who came alongside you to console you when you were at odds with someone. And they're just trying to be a good friend and they're talking to you about it. And they're saying, look, you just got to see this from their point of view. And they're talking to you. But you know what? It's the same friend coming alongside to console them. And you can see there how close you are. Because you have the same consoler. You have the same unifier. And that is Christ. And so you and I have the same encouragement of Christ. Because we have Christ, we are unified together. Yes, we do have encouragement in Christ. If there is any consolation of love, our second if. I'm going to say this is the Father because it refers to the Father earlier in chapter 1. Um, the, the consolation that the Father gives. Uh, there, there is great consolation in the Father. Of course, it's not limited to the Father, but 
first phrase is the son, second phrase is the consolation of love, when we think of the love of God, and then the third phrase is the fellowship of the Spirit. <clears throat> so we'll apply this to the Father. We have this consolation, very similar word here. Uh, the, the one who comes and makes peace and consoles the hurt party. This is our loving God, our loving Father. We've never had this in our family, but when brothers and sisters get into a fight, uh, sometimes the father has to console them, right? Uh, this father comes along and consoles the wounded parties. This is what we have in the church. Um, you have a father. You have the same father that's consoling you. If there is any consolation of God loves you, yeah, there's a great consolation in that. We have that together. We have that, uh, you and I both have that, that the Father loves me. The Father loves you. And because of that, I, by God's grace, want to love my brother or sister. More about that in just a moment. If there is, number three, any fellowship of the Spirit. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit. And there we have it. If we share the Spirit's koinonia, why are we unified? Well, we share Christ's encouragement. Why are we unified? Because we share the Father's consolation. Why are we unified? Because we share the Spirit's koinonia, His commonness. This is who we have in common. The Holy Spirit is the one that's living in you, and the Holy Spirit is the one who's living in me. He is uniting the church together. He is the, the being, God, who lives in us, gifts us, baptizes us, fills us, and energizes us. He's the blood of that body, the church, that's flowing through each one of you and me. Same blood, so we don't fight. Same blood, the Spirit living in us. He energizes all of us. And this is our word koinonia. This is kind of a main idea in this study of maintaining unity. So let's just take a moment with this. Uh, I think this is helpful for you, and, and let me just encourage you to do this, and I think we're going to get to this in January when we talk about how to study your Bible. One way to study your Bible is to go book by book, right? And that's a very helpful way, and we walk through how to do that. Another way to do a Bible study is actually to do a topical study, right? So we finished one on emotions. We look at the, the, what the whole Bible says about sadness. The whole Bible says about anxiety. There we're not just looking at one book, because the Bible reveals the book in a, the, his word in a, in a book of letters and history and, and uh, right, poetry. But what he wants us to do is to think carefully about a theme throughout all of Scripture. Right? So what we do often is these topical Bible studies. And you can do that easily through a strong concordance. But honestly, all over the internet you have uh, opportunity for, for just typing in Bible reference uh, a word, right? Bible Hub. Uh, my favorite one is no longer available. But anyway, uh, you just type in this word fellowship, koinonia, and you have all these references, 38 of them. And so what I did is I just looked at all 38 of those and just organized them into big ideas. Koinonia is sharing to provide for other believers. Right? And, and, and I'll just give you a few of those references here. Uh, take a minute with this. Romans 12, 13, 
Hebrews 13, 16, that's sharing to meet the general needs of other believers. Uh, Romans 15, 26, 2 Corinthians 8, 4, it's sharing to meet the financial needs of other believers. Both of those are used with that word koinonia. Sharing to provide general good things for teachers, Galatians 6, 6, Philippians 4, 15, another use of the word koinonia. That second big one, believers unified in one spiritual family. Right? Koinonia is sharing together in spiritual blessings. And this is the, the bulk of them. Uh, the koinonia of the Spirit. Right? That's what we're looking at today. The koinonia of Jesus. His body and blood in the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians 10.16 Koinonia of the Father. Koinonia of the Gospel. Koinonia of Christ's sufferings. Koinonia of sharing your faith. Koinonia of sharing future glory. Koinonia of sharing the divine nature inside of each one of us, meaning born again, the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us. This is what we have in common. You think of New York City, there's a lot of things that we have in common, and sometimes they can be frustrating, but sometimes they can be beautiful. We share in common these different museums, Forest Park, we all jog in, these sidewalks we walk along, the subway you can share with all different people from all over the world, billions of people share these things in common for $2.75. Right? So we, this is the idea. That's the word common. It's the word, you know, the word koine Greek, right? Maybe you've heard that. That was the common person's Greek language in Jesus' day. That's that. What do we have in common? This is what we have in common. We have the same family, Father, Son, and Spirit. Koinonia is helping this family. Thirdly, and this is actually where this text goes, is the, I think, the main focus of Philippians 4, 1 and 2. Koinonia is sharing together for a common cause. So you find that in common business, Luke 5, 10, or even a common crime, Matthew 23, 30. Koinonia is a common goal, working together of the body of the church. And there's one, two, three, four, five, six references to that. All of us working together for a common goal, the building up of the body of God, Christ Church. Believers going in one direction. Koinonia is sharing together in the truth against evil, against false teacher, against demons. So what you do in a topical study is you look at all of those references, you meditate on that, you think about it, you organize it, and then try to put it in one statement to get that idea. All right, so our word koinonia then with relation to the church, would be koinonia is all of us joining one team, going one direction. Not just a bunch of fellows on a ship, fellowship. It's often translated fellowship. Um, it's all of us on one team moving the ship in one direction toward the glory of God, the growth of his kingdom, through the furtherance of the gospel. This is what we're committed to, right? Maintaining unity. This is how we maintain unity. We say, this is the direction we're headed this is the direction we're headed, by God's grace. All right, very good. Fellowship of the Spirit. We share the Spirit's koinonia. If that happens, what, what is, I'm sorry, the, the fourth one. If we share the church's compassion, okay? And so this, this fourth one here is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any, what? If there's any, what? Affection and compassion. And, and so you have the first one's the, the, the Son, the second one's the Father, the third one's the Spirit. I do believe that this fourth one's just kind of generally opening it up, but in that case, it's for all of us to adapt. 
how are we going to maintain unity at Grace Church? It's, it's as we find ourselves full of affection and compassion. The King James translates this. Anyone know the King James translation here? If any, what? Bowels, yeah. Any bowels, good. If there's any bowels and compassion. We do have bowels here. Right? We don't use that word often, but it's actually the little, literal translation. It's talking about your intestines and your kidney and your liver. Right? This is why we use translations. Because right? you, you can kind of get what that's talking about, can't it? Right? You're watching a Hallmark video. Hallmark, one of those movies that like every scene is designed to try to make you cry. Like, come on. Like, this is the credits. You don't need to make us cry in the credits. Right? But that's what they're, they're, they're yanking on the emotional. And you feel that down here. You, you feel it in here. We say heart, but you kind, of, you kind of feel it all over in there. That's what it's talking about. So it's our idea of heart. If there's any heart at Grace Church, that's what's going to maintain unity. The heart, the feeling with, You see that and it touches you. You have heart. A church that maintains unity is filled with hearts yearning for others. Compassion is very similar. Affection and compassion. Pity, mercy. A heart that feels pity and shows pity. So it moves from that to showing pity. This term is most often described by God. The God of all mercy who has mercy on us shows pity and compassion on you and I. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and following really kind of flesh this out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort others. The comfort we have from God is to comfort one another. The mercy that he shows on me is so that I will show mercy on another. He goes on and keeps talking about his comfort. This may be something that you lack naturally. This is the way God made you. You may, you may lack that feeling with, that empathy that wells up in you. Um, but as you supernaturally look at the heart of God in the gospel, it begins to work in you supernaturally. And if you struggle with this, let me encourage you to, to meditate well on the gospel. As you know that you are unworthy, unhealthy, pitiful. If God had not reached down and changed your heart to believe and repent, if God of eternity had not drawn your heart to stop your rebellion, you would be in a Christless eternity. Right? If, if we see ourselves that way, then we can have pity on others. Because we know that God had pity on me. Right? The God of heaven sought me. Reached down and got me. Bought me. What mercy. What love and what grace. And then I, I can't look down on others. I have empathy and mercy and compassion on others. The church maintains unity is filled with compassion. I have a pastor friend who never feels this. He's opened up to me about it. Um, and so he takes a side job to help him uh, see people in very difficult ways so he can learn how to empathize. Um, 
God can supernaturally work in you this work where you will see someone and be touched. Our city desensitizes us to this because we see so many needs, so many crushed hearts. Um, So we need to keep reflecting well on the gospel. It's It's not a maybe, it's a yes. If there is affection and compassion, yes, there's a family of grace that has full of affection, full of compassion. And that will make what? Great joy in the church leadership. And Pastor Andrew and I do have this. I, I do feel like this. We, we don't spend our days, um, our, our elders meetings, we, do, we pray for you, but we're not like, oh man, there's all these fires to put out. Thank God for that. I praise the Lord for you. Um, but we need to keep reminding ourselves of this so that it re- we, we maintain it, we retain it. And so there is the result of this, right, be the emotional state that is a consequence of our unity. If there is, if there is, if there is, yes, there is, so make my joy complete by being of the same mind. There's this emotional consequence to our unity. There's a side effect that is very useful, and this becomes very practical. When there's there's absence of war, there is peace. And when there's peace, there's a heart of joy. Complete joy, right? What does he say? He says, make my joy complete. The idea of a full jar. I'm full of joy. My jar is full of joy. And spilling over. Why? Because of unity. Because there's unity in the church. There's joy. Complete joy. This, not just happiness about the circumstance, but this deep-seated shalom of heart that has joy. And that is a, what a church should be about. A, a, a unified body taking care of itself, not laughing at itself. And when that happens in society, it brings joy. Um, it, and, and this is, carries over into your work. When you're a person at work that causes unity, that strives for unity among coworkers, you're going to bring joy to your workplace. In your family, if you strive to bring unity and maintain unity in your family, you're actually going to bring joy to your family. In society, as our church strives to bring unity to our community, we actually bring joy to our community. Uh, this, is, this is not MTV. This is not usually what they want in reality TV. They just, oh, come on, we, we got to get the fighting. We, that's what sells, the bickering, the yelling, the, the meanness to one another. That's what the world prizes. But you know what? It's hazardous to your health. It's worse than tobacco. It's worse than, than uh, the worst smelling weed, right? It's worse than that. I have no medical evidence for that, but I believe I could talk to medical professionals who would say, in working with people the last 50 years, yes, yeah, someone who is so bitter and so uh, disunity, they cause disunity, always disrupting, like they shorten their life by weeks, by months, by years. Don't do any of that. Don't do any of that. Don't tell me to say I'm for all of those other things. I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying this hurts your health. It hurts your life. And so if you could be someone who, who is committed to koinonia, who is maintaining unity, you don't just bring joy to your church, you bring joy to your family, you bring joy to your family gatherings as we meet 
Thanksgiving Day. What a timely message. You're going to have that crazy uncle that wants to just, ah, oh, I know he's pushing my button on reason. It's trying to get me. You just love him in Christ. Lord Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Help me to respond in joy. And he'll do that. The only time I think, now I probably saw my mom cry in church like, like tears, but one of the only times I remember my mom crying outside of church uh, was a time when we were driving home. Uh, it was a church that my dad pastored, and, and he had asked a deacon to step down. And uh, this deacon's wife had left him, and so he wasn't meeting his, his family obligations. And uh, my dad didn't know it, but he owned the church. He literally owned the church. Uh, so instead of him stepping down, they told my dad to leave. I still remember that quiet ride home. And it wasn't fun. It wasn't joyful. Right? Just as joy brings, unity brings joy to a church, when, when there's discord, right? when there is disunity, when there is strife, it takes that joy away. The absence of unity brings sadness, but unity promotes joy. So how can I be a part of this? Oh, man, I thought I'd go short today. I'm so sorry. Let's get moving. The thens. This is the thens. Look at the, the six components of unity and the last two we already covered a few weeks ago, so I'm only going to do the first four, okay? So the six components of unity, but they're so helpful. we got to get the words and phrases into our heart, okay? So this is how you do it. First of all, make my joy complete by... This is how you're going to do it. This is how you're going to carry it out. He's going to tell us the recipe for maintaining unity at our church. Yes, we focus on the things we have in common, but now let's flesh out how we're to do this. Component number one, by being of the same mind. Being of the same mind. The same end goal in mind. Right? And so this is why we're actually focusing on glorifying God through being Bible-driven. This is where we're headed. You see these eight things? Let's get behind them. Let's promote him at our church. Let's focus in on what we know we can be behind as being biblical. Because you can come up with any number of things to be a part of. Let's go to this. All right, this is having a biblical mindset. A biblical framework. A biblical worldview. Right, these are all perspectives. Right, these are all illustrations, cognates for the same idea. What the Bible calls renewing your mind. Sanctification. Changing to think like God thinks. The big picture of Ephesians 4, we won't take time to go there, but all of us as members growing each one to where we look like Christ. We're washing one another through the word. That is that thinking the same intention. Being of the same mind. It doesn't mean that we're thinking exactly alike on everything. We are so diverse. And so we have unity in our diversity. And, and there are some minor things where we agree to disagree. This doesn't mean you're going to get along super well with everyone in the church. Like there's going to be some personalities that are a little more difficult for you. But we are going to be committed to being of the same mind in these, this big picture goal of promoting Christ, the gospel of his church. Commoted to acting the same action and this is where we kind of flesh out God's love for us. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love. Maintaining the same love. And so this is why we're saying maintaining unity. This love that God has for us, the love that Christ has for us. I'm going to 
share that with others. Right? This is this is a um, a false idea of love is to 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 give to that person like you're giving into a a bank, and and then eventually you have enough there to draw away from later. That's a false view of love. Right? Love is going to people who've never opened an account with you and giving to them. It's continuing to give, continuing to give, continuing to love, even when they're crucifying you. That's biblical love. That's Jesus' love. That's supernatural love. The other is selfishness. Giving so I can get back later. We got that? And so love unifies a church. It has spiritually alive by God's grace. It, it sees the needs and doesn't criticize, it sees the needs and helps, washes the feet. It's really hard to, to, to hurt someone who's washing your feet, right? And that's the idea. That's the idea. It's really hard to be mean to someone, to cause disunity with someone who's washing your feet. And that's where he's going to head with all of these. All right, keep going. Uh, manifesting the same disposition. United in spirit. Uh, spirit here is lowercase, and I, I agree with that. It's not the idea of the Holy Spirit. He's already talked about that. But the idea would be our, our spirit or our disposition. You can be mean-spirited, or you can have a kind spirit. You can have a critical spirit or an accepting spirit. What is your attitude? You have an attitude of kindness, of compassion that he's been detailing. Gentleness. This is the attitude we have. And this is so important for us. I, I think this, is, this really hits the nail on the head is our spiritual disposition. Or we have a spirit of looking down on. And, it, and you, this is between you and the Lord, right? It's hard to put the finger on this. Remember one of the first men in our church. I'm not going to go into the details about, but good brother. Uh, he had already planted churches, started businesses. But remember one of the, the businesses that he started was in an area of the country that was known for its Christian counseling. And like the, one of the foremost authors on Christian counseling, uh, he goes to his church. I was like, how was that? Was that a great time, great experience? He said it was horrible. I tried it a few weeks. I couldn't go back. Of course, he could have been walking at a time where they were being unusually fleshly or uh, perhaps they, they, they spoke the truth but for forgetting about love for that period of time. But he couldn't go back. Because they were competent to counsel and speaking the truth. But the attitude was so proud and critical and condescending that he couldn't stomach it. Everybody had everybody's throats. We can't lose either. You have the, the truth, but you have love. And, and if you aren't ministering the truth in love, shut up. I say that in love. It's better not to speak the truth than to garb it in love. I mean, garb it in hate. Because people smell it. They know whether you love them or you're just wanting to get this off your heart. All right, so if, if you don't love that person, then shut your mouth. The truth is never welded well by a hateful heart. Right? If you don't love that person, then shut your mouth. The truth is never welded well by a hateful heart. And that's what this is getting at. We have this, this spirit, a spirit of, of kindness, of love, that thinks the best of that person. And then you can tell them they're going to hell. In a loving way, and they will say, thank you so much for telling me that. But you can tell them again they have a spot on their shirt in such a way that they'll run away and say, that guy is so mean. 
all by your spirit. And so that, that, that deals with what you say, that deals with how you say it, but that also deals with your motive and whether you love that person or not. Okay, and then we, we end up here with uh, focused on the same direction. We, we need to be headed all the same direction. And, and this actually, if you, actually, what you could do in your Bible, if you wanted to, you could, you could underline uh, these two words, right? These being of the same mind is the same word there is intent on the same purpose, okay? At the beginning of verse 2 and the end of verse 2, right? So that's the same idea. So he's kind of bookcasing this. The same, you're headed the same direction. One was a, your intent, and now it's where you're headed. It's let's get on here and do it together. Let's get on the train and move this way. We're all focused the same direction. The purposes God's given us, this is where we're going, Grace. It's not just a bunch of us on a ship. It's all of us on one team moving the ship in one direction to the glory of God, the growth of his kingdom through the furtherance of the gospel. If you ride one of these thingies by yourself, I'm just looking at the records. 2012 Olympics, single person, 6 minutes, 57 seconds. Four people, 6 minutes. Eight people, 5 minutes, 48 seconds. You go faster with more people. Head in the same direction. But if you were to take this middle lady and turn her around, you'd have a big mess. It'd probably be 60 minutes. Or even just one of them headed just this way. You'd have a big mess. It's all of us unified together. And so this is what we're doing, Pastor Andrew and I, with this, with this series. We're just keeping us on track. Hey, this is where we're headed. Let's, let's get behind it. Like, we could do all kinds of stuff. But let's go this way, okay? And you say, hey, but how about this? Okay, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. But it's all the glory of God in the gospel uh, through the growth of his church, the body. When the world sees us doing this well, it loves it. It, mo- it notices it. When it doesn't, it notices it. I'm just going to read these last two and then, and then com- conclude. Um, the, the fifth one is the not do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Proper self-evaluation. Recognize that none of us are essential in one sense. We're all essential. But, but it's the body. The body. Jesus through his spirit in the body. It's proper self-evaluation. Recognize that God can use all of us, and he must use all of us. And then living a consistent other orientation. Do not merely look out for your own interests, verse 4, but the pers- own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Where, where are you looking? Right? And so that's the component number six. And we did handle those before, and, and we're out of time. Um, so by God's grace, our, our church will continue to do this. And, and I do believe it brings a winsomeness to our church. This is something I hear all the time. Folks that come in, they, they don't leave saying, wow, I think I just went to the Rockettes or right, a Broadway show or a concert. No, they say, wow, that was a loving family. Because that's what the church is. It's not the Rockettes. It's a loving family ministering grace to one another. But when it doesn't happen, it's the world takes notice. I'll end with this. I don't know if you um, saw any of this. This was, this was probably two years ago this started coming out. I can't remember when it was first came out. 2021, yeah. Um, but uh, Mark Driscoll, huge 
charismatic personality, launch Mars Hill Church into international notoriety. But it was the fall of Mars Hill that, that the world took great notice of. Uh, this podcast was, was number one iTunes, like two point two and a half million people at one point. I can't, you can't, because it's, it's all over now. Uh, it's, it's on Spotify and all these places. You can't add up how many people have listened to this. But what the world wanted to hear is how it, it imploded. How a guy ran over people and was mean-spirited, ungracious. How he was ousted and fired. And how eventually the whole leadership had to resign. The world loves seeing that. But you know what? It senses a genuineness when a church is living out the gospel commands. You know, that's a church. Okay, that's a church, that's a family that welcomes me. It may not get on the news, it may not become number one on the podcast, but it will be a faithful church maintaining unity to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we do ask for grace for this. Uh, We ask that you would enable us by your spirit, because we know that the unity of the church is something your spirit provides, uh, that we would... um, have unity in the truth on doubtful things, we'd be able to really enjoy discussing differences with one another. Um, and then on these minor things, we, we, would, we would really not make mountains of them. Uh, on personality things, we would be patient with one another. Um, Lord, as we're all growing in the hospital... Uh, and we ask for grace as you've been patient with us to be patient with one another. We pray that the world would see our unity and and marvel at what you're doing in the church, Lord, as the angels do, uh, and that you would grow our church in that unity. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll uh, close in a hymn in just a moment, but if you would like to spend some time in prayer, please do. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be in the back lobby. be happy to pray with you. Let's commit ourselves to maintaining this unity that the Spirit provides.